welcome to Are Your Parents Proud of You, the podcast. I'm LJ Bullen. And I am Matthew Schufreiter. And we are pleased to bring you today one of my dear, dear friends, Mr. Adam Jepson, actor, singer, dancer, creator, producer, extraordinaire, and one of my dear, dear friends. We're so happy to have you, babe. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Thanks for doing this. Of course. How else would I want to spend my Thursday than with you two virtually in my bedroom? Uh... <laughs> I mean, bingo night was probably canceled. So yeah, nothing better else to do probably, right? I yeah, know. There's plenty of reasons for me not to be in Midtown. And this is one great one. <laughs> <laughs> How's New York going over there? How, what's it like post-COVID, but still in the middle of COVID? What's it like? Um, you know, it's like every week, it seems like a nice solid two inches forward. Um, <laughs> it's been It's been good. I feel like, you know the a big reason why I live in New York is the culture here and um the past year the heart of COVID it was like why am I living here uh, outside of my career of course Um, and uh, it's just so nice to have like bars open again restaurants open again music festivals kind of open again um so museums open again um and so like having that again is like giving me um life like life and inspiration for creating and just existing because it was a tricky tricky year it was it was rough (laughs) it was rough how about we did manage to see each other a couple times during during our uh life of shutdown and and bubble land but um you know I just I miss that too. I right. miss like going out and doing the things. And now we're finally getting back to it. But you were not always in New York. You are a Chicago boy. Yes. Park Ridge. That's right. Action Ridge, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> what were you like as a child? Oh God. I was um I was crazy. I was very rambunctious. I did not listen. I had a lot of energy and um, I was just a very much like a typical Midwest boy. Mm -hmm. I like, like soccer. Oh, before that I liked gymnastics, but I was, I had a lot of energy. I didn't like listening to adults and I was, (laughs) yeah, I was just, I was crazy. (laughs) <laughs> and you said you said gymnastics and all that were your parents you know were they also like athlete, athletic and stuff like that yeah my, it was kind of like understood in my household that you were gonna always do something right and that kind of was sports for my family because my dad had an athletic background he like always preached to us about what you can learn from sports which I still agree there are a lot of life lessons you can learn from sports um, and I'm grateful to have had that background um and so, because I had two older brothers who were both triathletes, it was kind of, you know, when soccer came around, it was kind of like, this is what you're doing. Um, and then I found gymnastics, which I had sort of a natural inkling towards doing and I sort of natural talent for. And then I kind of fell into that um, until I found the theater when I was like 14, 15. Did gymnastics lead to dance or was it just like a separate like hop to theater it was actually more acting um I really wasn't exposed to the arts through my parents at all um in any capacity my parents did not listen to music growing up um so I was not exposed to like I found out what West Side Story was when I was 21 my junior year of college 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so in even music, I, I did not grow up in a house where music was playing unless my siblings were doing it. And it, I was really not exposed to the arts at all. Um, and so really my introduction originally into storytelling was film and television Mm. and and back then it was more definitely more so films um and so I always had this inkling of thinking it was really cool and loving it and um that was kind of like my first I I remember specifically watching the special features on the Lord of the Rings DVD and I remember it. I know so weird um I remember pointing to it and being like I want to do that for my life and um and this was when I was 14 years old and my mom was like yeah okay you've played the violin you've played the oboe you've done gymnastics you've done soccer like you know just a supportive parent being like sure 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 (laughs) later I was like mom I really do want to do that and she was like oh you're serious like I, I guess I kept nagging her over a three week period and my mom was really sweet she bought this book called like the childhood actors of Chicago book and it like listed at the time the agents in Chicago and we like took a headshot on a Polaroid camera went to CVS printed out 24 of them and we like that story yeah we like sent them out to agencies being like here's my resume I've done nothing and I signed with sort of like a C to B level agency in Chicago that mostly did a lot of like commercial print work. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually my introduction to the like business in general. And then they did get me seen for some Chicago productions when they needed kids for theater, but I had no idea, no idea what I was doing. Um, and to answer your question, which was um, a roundabout way of answering was that I was introduced first through acting in theater. And that was like, I knew I wanted to be an actor. I saw Elijah Wood. It was like, I knew I wanted to act. Um, But because of my athletic background, once I was then introduced about, you know, nine months later to musicals, um, which my high school was doing Les Mis, that was my senior. So I'd been in the fall play. So I knew I loved acting. It was like a big deal for me. I cried when the show was over. I thought my world was ending. And then the musical came up and I was like, cool, that's not for me. And the guy was like, uh, he knew me, the, the choir director knew me from the play. And he was like, you should audition. And he handed me the sheet music. And I remember being like, what is this Chinese? I don't know what this is. Cause I was like, what is this? And so my friend who was in choir helped me and um, I auditioned and was terrible. And they let me in, which was so nice. And I became obsessed with musical theater. Um, But I never lost sort of my passion for acting throughout that. Is it also true that you saw The Lion King and got jealous of the guy, of the kid playing Simba as well? I was about to tell that story. So at that that time that I was like seeing Elijah Wood and did my first play, my mom, when I was 14, took me to The Lion King downtown Chicago. Right. And I do remember I was very jealous of the little Simba. And I went home and I memorized the lyrics. And, you know, little did I know that I could not play that role because I'm a white person. Um, But in my mind, I could. And that's like something's kind of beautiful and perfectly ignorant for little me. Um, (laughs) But I remember hating the production because I did at that point, I didn't think theater was cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, even though I like, it was one of those weird things where you like hate something cause you love it. And it's like, oh, it was dumb, but I like loved it. It was weird. You're afraid that if you, <laughs> and again, that, you was, it, that they'll say that it's dumb. Exactly. And totally so been there. that's the whole, like me transitioning from me being a boy to being like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I can say <laughs> I like this out loud. <laughs> and LJ, how do you two actually know each other? I'm curious. So, uh, Mr. Jepson and I went to Carnegie Mellon pre-college for musical theater. It was a very big deal. Mm. We were hot shit, or so we thought. And <laughs> um, yeah, that was in, at, at their campus there, and we spent the summer. Oh, very cool. I highly suggest it. It was it is it, seriously one of like my most favored. It was wild. Yeah, I mean, it's like getting to go to college before college. These kids are all like young and horny and oh yeah, are and <laughs> uh, yeah, it was so cool. I mean, like honestly, even for my own sexuality, that was the first time that boys, men, I remember boys hitting my first kiss at that camp, and it being yeah, and it being sort of. I remember at that time being like, you know, people come up to you and be like, John likes you, blah, blah, likes you, blah. And it, it would be so weird to be like, oh, because in my high school, you know, no one would ever say that. And no one would kind of. So it was, it was like, I remember my first time being like, whoa, this is like, what a different world. So I remember that aspect. Weird little microcosm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To be who whoever you wanted to be was accepted. So like, that was probably my first feeling of community with artists and Mm. other actors and I really it was so sacred and raw and beautiful I remember like when I my final show I did in high school I was up to that point I told my parents I wanted to do theater full-time and they're like okay fine good luck with that and then they finally saw it and we actually hosted our cast party you know you have to have the last cast party at the house with the pizza and all that and we hosted it and she my parents finally saw me in the room with all those act- actors yeah, in your space in my space and and you know we're singing bohemian, bohemian rhapsody at 11 30 high on red bull um to sing it and they're like oh this makes sense now now he knows what he likes he's found his people yeah, yeah. For, for sure so how so you went to college so then you went to college uh was this also in new york as well or in chicago or uh, I went to school in uh, at Penn State in Pennsylvania, and um, again at the time when I was seventeen and applying for colleges, and even at that pre college where I met Lindsay, I was really bad and very behind mm-hmm. um, because I found that a lot of kids in musical theater were either dancers that had been dancing since they were two or four and had been in competition teams and knew dance really well, or the singers that knew they loved to sing and found musical theater because the lyrics spoke to them and getting to like act and acting. So I was kind of the rare breed where like, I was coming from the acting sort of thing. Like I knew I liked this, but I did not know dance or singing at all. And so when I met to me, knowing how incredible you are at dancing. Yeah. And you know, the dancing (laughs) was an easy transition because I was a gymnast. So I was used to like, you know, the coordination, the balance, the power, the strength, everything, and the obedience. Um, so it was an easier transition for me. I had the, I had the facility. I didn't have the technique yet. Um, so when I was applying for colleges, I wanted a school that was having a musical theater, um, specifically in singing and 
dancing because I felt like those were my weak and they were my weakest at the time. So, um, yeah, so that's why I wanted to go to school for musical theater at that point in my life. Very cool. Um, I'm, I always like to ask actors, especially people who now live in New York and are from Chicago, there always seems to be a difference in the culture. Um, when I, someone said, I forgot who said it, doesn't matter. I said, what's the difference between like Chicago theater and New York theater? And he goes, well, in New York theater, it's a lot more fuck you than in regular Chicago theater. Is that true? Or you, you, is, is it a little bit more different than people think? You know what? I feel like, to be honest, I feel like I can't answer that because I've never lived as an adult in Chicago. Right. I left my house when I was 17 and I have never been back for longer than like a week or two. Right. Um, so it's really difficult for me to answer that. Um, I, I, you know, from what I understand about the industry, I do, I do think what's really great about Chicago is that there's more experimental theater. There seems to be a lot more risks taken in that town. Right. Whereas in New York, with everything being so much more expensive, um, all the shows that come to Broadway do their out of towns in these cities that are a little more experimental. Um, and so I think that's, for me, I think that's sort of like representative maybe of the two different um, cities. You know, I feel like there's this, um, there's more play, not that there isn't any play in New York. I just feel like there's a lot more at stake. Right. Um, yeah, I was just, I had that in my head. I was like, it's just like the stakes are higher. So everybody's yeah. a little bit more yeah. up and a little bit more extra and everything is a little bit more, more. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. So I think that's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I am still desperately wanting to have a Chicago theater experience because I've never performed in the place that I grew up I have in like Aurora and um what other city was it? I forgot where else I was in um but never in Chicago proper so that's like a huge huge dream of mine but you did train though in like a lot of good stuff like Piven Actors Gymnasium and like Joel Hall you know right. stuff like that was there any I don't want to say techniques, that sounds very old school professor, but like, was that some, anything you could take away from that? Yes. Um, so the reason I found Joel Hall is because my high school dance teacher worked during the day teaching dance at my high school. She started the program and she was a company dancer at Joel Hall. Hmm. Um, and I credit sort of a lot of what I learned and how I was introduced to dance Um to her I mean like she took us through we do like three week three week courses of different types of dance and I did every when I was introduced to dance it was truly like three weeks of jazz three weeks of ballet three weeks of tap three weeks of hula dancing three weeks of social dance like we did some really cool things and so it really gave me a sort of broader scope about dance that I think a lot of dancers don't get um and from her, I moved on to training at Joe Hall because I loved what I was getting. And there I met um, a professor named Will, who I introduced Lindsay to, but I sort of became his sort of, um, or he was sort of my muse. Uh, or am I saying that right? Or was I his muse? I think you were his muse. Yeah. I'm his muse. And so he kind of, I learned so much from my college professor, specifically Tap from Michelle Dunleavy, but Will really is so monumental for I would say my movement quality. Um, and, and he really um, pushed me and really um, just invigorated me to be the best that I could be when it came to movement. 
And so I learned a lot from at Joel Hall. And, um, and Piven, Piven was such a special time for me because it was right in that 14 year old age time. When I wanted to act, my mom looked up, you know, the sort of most reputable within an hour distance place. And, and that was Piven for me. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of what Chicago theater kind of represents in my idea or brain, at least, Piven was definitely a place where, you know, I was doing improv and scene study, but a lot of it was just rooted in like, playing and like circumstantial so I just remember it was just a lot of like what I imagined Second City to be like a lot just a lot of improv um yeah it was really really it was really awesome I loved it so much now I know the answer to this but I want to hear you talk about it um in all of this is like is it hard for you moving through all of this and this intense world of musical theater and then auditioning for schools and going to such a specific major in a college that's like you know you that's all you do you don't do anything else um how you know was it with your family and like is anybody else in your family artistic and what was that sort of like to sort of go from this sports family and that's kind of what everybody understood together to doing this thing on your own Mm. Um, my family was always extremely supportive. I'm so lucky in that regard. Um, I was kind of just raised with the idea um, and privilege that my parents were able to support us in a way where they were like, if you want to try something, you know, go for it. Like the world is your oyster. And um, I definitely grew up in a, you know, middle to upper class family. And I don't remember having a lot of money growing up and there were definitely some tough times, but my parents raised us and lived in a way where we didn't have nice things, but we always had money for experiences, whether it was educational or traveling. Um, and so if I wanted to try something, there's never an issue of money, which is really, really not that I never heard about how expensive it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's built um, with all parents. Right. Exactly. So I think that, um, they were always very supportive. Same with my siblings. And I think that I actually influenced my younger sister because she did choir. She had a naturally good voice or still does have a naturally good voice as well. Um, She did theater for a little bit. um, And then she did makeup and she moved from makeup into hair and she does hair profession now. She's extremely talented. Um, But me and her are kind of the artists of the family. um, And it does not exist anywhere else in my family, really. So um, we're sort of the misfits and in going away for college um, was not hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because from the age of 11, I, I would go away every summer to gymnastics camp that I went to for summers on end um, until I turned God, I kept going there until I was 20 and started doing summer stock. Um, so I was sort of used to going away and, and also with my personality, I'm not I don't, it sounds terrible, but I don't generally miss people. Um, I (laughs) I totally understand. Yeah. What'd you say? I totally understand. It doesn't mean you don't love them. Exactly. But I know there are people like that. And so I'm just not, and I don't think my family, anyone in my family is particularly like that either. I think, I don't know. I think we're all pretty independent and, um, when we need help, we reach out for help. But, um, I think that, yeah, we're not a very homesick family. We're all very close, but um, we don't talk on the phone a lot. And so going out East was just kind of a pursuit of my dream of like 
continuing my education. So there was never sort of any doubts or feeling separated or it was like I knew that I was supposed to be there and that I had their support and trust. And um, I will say, you know, <laughs> so I left after my sophomore year of college. And at the time, I wanted a program that was a little more acting heavy because I was getting that singing and dancing training, but I felt like I wasn't um, flexing my sort of acting muscle enough. And so um, I went out to go do a national tour for a year. And when I booked that job, it was a really special moment for me and my parents because, and they even said, they were like, you know, after that Carnegie Mellon pre-college, they give us sort of a, an evaluation at the end saying if you should major in this or not, they kind of give a sort of recommendation and they were encouraging. And so then that was kind of the impetus to major in it in college and my parents are very supportive, but I think once I booked that tour, they were both like, wow, you know, it just. Oh, okay. You really can do this. Yeah. And I think it's really confusing as a parent because you want to support your child, but there's a difference of being supportive and knowing that they can make it professionally. And so it was a big moment for us to share together to be like, oh, we're not crazy for supporting you to this level. And also I'm not crazy for thinking that I'm good, you know? Someone thinks I'm good and I have a job. So (laughs) sometimes it's all about the money. Sometimes. (laughs) Just sometimes. Jobs. Did move to New York. Mm -hmm. And I correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe like it was that long before you like five weeks, I believe. Booking Chicago. Yeah, uh, it was three weeks. It was really wild. And um, funny enough, I actually booked Chicago and Cinderella in the same week. And so I was actually choosing between Broadway shows and, um, and it was a hard choice because in Cinderella, I was a swing, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to be on stage, but I kind of turned to my agents since they knew, you know, more about career trajectory and what credits mean. And they sort of were like, you know, Chicago's not closing, which is true. And they were like, (laughs) go, if they'll want you now, they'll likely want you at some point later. So go with the original cast credit. And I did. And it was very difficult. I am so grateful that I had the experience of doing it. Um, I remember watching you on the Tonys and my heart just sung. Thank you so much. And I, I will say part of part of that original cast and being in rehearsals and I, I wasn't part of there was no out of town trial, but there were workshops prior, I think three actually, and a dance lab. Um, and I came in right at the end just for Broadway. Um, But it was really special to be able to, like, my debut of performing in New York was the Macy's Parade, because we were doing, we started rehearsals in January, but they wanted us to promote the show coming out in spring. So, like, oh, my God, I was so nervous. It was my first thing. And then from there, we went into rehearsals. And then opening the show, going through pre or going through previews, through opening, and then being on the Tony Awards. And, you know, I was really nervous about not being able to perform with my cast, but um, I actually got to do a feature role of playing the, um, I was the fox, not the raccoon, of the fox. Um, And so it being on the tone, I mean, it was also crazy. So everything that a cast recording, everything that comes with the original cast, I kind of like clean sweep experience it all with Cinderella, which was really special. I got to know the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade performance. Is it as cold as it actually looks? Yes. I remember the rehearsal was worse, though, because um, 
our rehearsal slot was like sometime around like 11 or 11 p.m. or midnight, Ooh. like two days before. So it's cold then in November. And um, at least when you perform, it's like you have so much adrenaline that you're like, I'm thinking about it. And I forget for the moment. Um, you guys did have more to your costumes than a lot of other people. <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, I could have been in like, I'm trying to think of, I don't know, Once on this Island or Legally Blonde or, you know, one of these shows where you're in little to nothing. So uh, thankfully I was um, quite suited up for that performance. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, and then we moved to Chicago, which you did eventually go back to because spoiler alert it didn't close it spoiler alert <laughs> it's still not close it's it's temporarily closed because of covid but um right and you were there during the period of like rotating roxies yes you worked with several different roxies I, I worked with a couple of different principals in general um so the show a spot opened up 10 months later after being in cinderella and I had to go in and actually re-audition. And I was actually so nervous because it was really odd to get a contract and then be told to come and audition again um, because I felt like I had to live up to what I did 10 months ago. And it was sort of like, am I going to have that spark again? Um, and so, you know, sometimes in the moment in auditions, you do something that it's like, I don't know what I did, but it worked, you know? And so there's that idea <laughs> of like, recreate this enough to convince them to hire me again. Um, I was really nervous and, you know, I did ob obviously get the offer again. Um, went into the show. That was my first experience of doing double duty, which means I was doing Chicago at night and rehearsing during the day. Oh. Um, very crazy. Um, and then, like you said, I rotated through a bunch of celebrities. For Roxy, we had um, Jennifer Nettles. Um, I'm trying to think if there were other sort of celebrity come-ins for rules. We had B.B. Newworth, the original Velma, come in for Mama. We had, um, who else do we have during this time? Oh, you guys have Brandy? Brandy. Brandy was the big one. And she, yeah. jeez, how am I forgetting that? Um, which was so cool because, you know, I like grew up seeing her in Moesha. So it was like really wild to be on stage with her. And I'm such a fan of her talents. So that was really wild to see her. I think um, it's funny that you went from Cinderella, which Brandy was in the movie version of, to then Chicago with Cinderella. I just, exactly. I, it makes me like both those shows had weird sort of, um, and then I was the first Jepsen. And then Carly Rae Jepsen came as Cinderella in Cinderella. Um, so, yeah, it's like these very funny people that came on as principals to both those shows. Do you have a favorite Roxy? Oh, my God. That's a hard question. You know, all of them did quite well with the material. Um, I did get to do the show for, like, two weeks at my, like, last two weeks um, with Charlotte D'Ambois. Yeah, and she was such a powerhouse on stage and just had like a really special, like true triple threat, good at everything, great actress, such a good dancer, of course, could sing just, just really great at the role and all of them. Bianca Merakin was so good. Um, Jennifer Nettles, like her voice quality for the role was just so unbelievable. Um, I really love getting to do that show and it's such an iconic piece of theater. Um, the choreography is incredible. The book of, I mean, I, I still to this day think it is one of the best books of a musical. 
um, and one of the best song and lyrics. Like it is just such a well-written show. Well, it's crazy to me that it was never actually on Broadway because I feel like everybody thinks that it was. Right. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a revival. It was it was truly the original, like first time on Broadway. What this production? Yeah. No, no, no. Oh. The original was with Cheetah and um No, 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 no. Of Cinderella. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Rivera was not in Cinderella. Cinderella. I can't tell you of that. Yeah, yeah. Cinderella's <laughs> never been on Broadway. Yeah, so this was the first time, but I feel like I, I was, that's what I was trying to communicate, right. which I did not do properly, was that I feel like a lot of people think that it was. Oh, totally. And what was also really interesting with the Tony Awards is that we were up for Best Revival, not Best Original. Ooh. Because it was such a sort of culturally metabolized no. piece. I don't know. Does that make sense to you guys when you got the nomination? Like, you got excited, you got nominated, but then it's like, what, we got this nomination? Yeah, I don't, you know, I've never even thought about that until now. I remember I just, I, I'm sure, you know, I think with the Tony nom, the Tony committee, they're sort of like, this isn't new music. This isn't new writing. Right. You know, and so regardless of it not being on Broadway, there's not like, we can award a new playwright or, or Roger Samerstein that just wrote this. Because they're already, you know, the estate was running their music at that point, not even them, so... Yeah, right. And up after that, so you, you did Cinderella, and what at one point did you want to be a writer, like a screenwriter per se? That's such a good question. So jumping back to high school really fast, yeah. um, I was part of this um, comedy troupe called Trunk, which is basically a, a sketch comedy troupe. And that's where I sort of was introduced to creative writing and sketch comedy writing and just writing something that then gets performed. It's one of my most cherished experience from experiences from high school. And, um, and it kind of just fizzled away. I did it all four years or three, three or four, but it fizzled away once I went to college because I was so, um, the training was so intense. We didn't really have time to do much of anything outside of singing, acting, and dancing with the school productions, auditioning for summer socks, just getting my gen eds done. And so I kind of like lost touch with my writing, but I missed it. I did miss it, but I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think about it much until I got back to my, my first year in New York because I got my first Broadway show so quickly, which I'm so grateful for. I remember on opening night or not opening night, my, my first show in bowing, I remember feeling like now what, like a, just a huge dream of mine came true. You know, what's next? What do I want to do with my career? And I actually did write a couple sketch comedies that I will not tell you about because they're embarrassing, um, <laughs> but I did just write them. Just a hint. Oh, I can give you a hint. I, me and my friend um, did a sketch comedy YouTube video about an, a fake app called Who's This Bitch, which, <laughs> identifies, which identifies different types of dogs. And, oh, my God. Yes. And it was actually pretty funny and pretty good. Um, <laughs> I would, like, do these things and film it. And I'm talking, like, low budget, like, filmed on our DSLR camera. And, like, well, this <laughs> was in the era of, like, Vine, right? You yeah, know, oh, like, the beginning of YouTube. Like, that's what everybody absolutely. was doing. I love this. Yeah. I love yeah. this. I wish I'd and seen the, it. 
And then I did another totally weird one. I don't know if you guys know of those Christmas chocolates called Queen Anne. No. They're called Queen Anne's, but it's just one of those like cordial chocolates that's like a chocolate covered cherry. with. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're called Queen Anne's. And so I did this like comedy video of popping Queen Anne's cherry. So you get, it was like a commercial for Queen Anne's and people like cooking at home being like the first time I popped her cherry and all this. It's, it's like a stupid sketch. It's like a strong sexual undercurrent to all of exactly. your improv. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I did that for a little bit, but then I got, you know, kind of thrown back into acting and sort of lost touch in it again. And so I, it was kind of on the back burner, but always in the back of my mind, sort of writing short stories in my brain, but never develop, actually developing them. And then the, the actual main thing that sort of Across the barrier for me to actually sit down and write was um, my first feature screenplay that I wrote that's titled American Asian that's based on my mom's life, which her life is miraculous and truly outrageous. Um, and so, so something crazy happened with, um, she found her biological parent she had been adopted from Korea and um, through ancestry, she was reconnected to her father who's still alive to this day. And I watched my mom go through a sort of identity crisis at like 62 years old. So it was watching someone who I cared so much about and finding out that he was still alive, had never had a child. They lived one state away. There were so many crazy things. I remember thinking like, this is the type of story that you're like, if you hear this, you'd be like, you can't write this. And I was like, wait, you can. So um, oh I just remembered it was, yeah. And, and to be completely honest, it was rooted. And I'm like writing all these fellowship essays because I'm trying to get this piece seen. Um, or, it, needs like, to be seen. it needs to be seen. I love right. it so much. Thank you so much. Um, I'm trying to get it noticed and produced and whatever. And um, I think it is rooted in my own sense of, my own racial identity because you know I'm white and look white but I'm also Asian American and so it was a really complex concept for me to understand growing up you know I grew up in a mixed race household with you know one Asian American parent one white parent a sister who's fully Asian but Asian American I'm white my brothers are white but both Asian American my dad's white but not Asian American and we also had a black nanny so we had three different races in our house in a fully white suburbia and so that's a lot of people don't grow up in mixed race families and so I learned a lot being in that environment and um I think that I sort of needed to piece together this story not only for my mom but sort of a reckoning of my own racial identity, um, which for a lot of Asian Americans is sort of rooted in this idea of feeling not Asian enough and not white enough. And so I think I could kind of relate, even though I'm obviously white, but um, it was sort of just um, a family story that turned into this beautiful piece that's in, in, wild and beautiful and truly touching. If anybody who's listening to this podcast has any ability to make this film happen, please hear my plea because it needs to happen because it's so relatable. Like, you know, just for me having friends who either are mixed race um, or adopted um, Asian American kids who grew up with white families and like 
that's what you talked about right there is just what I'm here from those friends and loved ones over and over and over again is that struggle of like not feeling white enough for the white people and not feeling Asian enough for the Asian people and like this this in between and it all gets you know mixed in with the model minority thing and but it's it's really really important and I I believe in it it's amazing thank you you your storytelling it's so good and so that took me about a year to write and um and then I started sharing it first with like really close friends and in my friends reading it I could tell I mean some had very emotional responses to it which was so touching but I could it it made me feel so equally if not more but in a different way as powerful as when I perform or I'm acting I know that my performance is affecting someone it made me feel so powerful um, it just in a very different way. And I sort of became obsessed. Um, and I also learned that I also really like writing pieces that center on um, complex concepts of identity, no matter what that is. And so um, I wanted to write another one. And um, I did, I finished it like maybe over a year and a half ago. Um and that one, again, is similar um, about a complex identity. I'm, I'm bisexual. And um, again, I think that I, I, I struggled through a very small portion of my life with my sexuality, but I was always pretty clear about it, um, knowing I was bi once I knew I was queer. It was quite quick. Um, but I didn't have, just like my racial identity, I didn't have people who looked like me who, you know, looked one thing, but was another. I didn't see that a lot on TV. I didn't see bisexual characters on TV. And so I think I was just driven by the need to create social change into, um, in hopes of, you know, starting these nuanced conversations and self-work that are the answer to creating lasting change. So that's kind of been my like MO as a writer. And, um, I found such great purpose in it. And I just wrote my, um, I'm really excited to announce. Um, I just wrote my, um, my first short film. Um, and I've produced short films. I've been in a lot of short films. Um, and I knew that as a writer, and um, I'd like to direct one day, and I definitely want to direct this, but um, I knew that a good way of getting people to metabolize your material is via shorts, because it's easy to sit down to watch a 10 minute short. Um, it's hard to get someone to sit down and read a 120 page, you know, screenplay. So it's a great introduction to not only industry people, but, um, the world to metabolize your stuff. And I've been really not stressed, but I'm, I've spent the past at least three years being open and trying to figure out what I want to write a short about. And I knew I wanted it to be similar in this vein of what I like writing about. Mm-hmm. And I finally got it and I'm really proud of it. And I'm hoping to produce it either end of 2021 or 2022. Exciting. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what it's about. Uh, so the long line is um, a woman um, is influenced by a queer friend group in New York City and returns home to her long-term boyfriend torn with the choice of bringing up a sensitive subject. Um, And so it's about this woman from Texas who, and this is based on a true story. This happened actually a couple months ago um, here in my apartment. 
Um, I have lived in New York for nine years and I have finally found my own bisexual community and it's taken me a long time. And that's another reason why it's great for, you know, bi people to be out specifically by men because there's so few of them. Um, but I've, I've kind of forged my own bisexual community and, you know, we're all in, you know, one girl is, um, has known she's been bi, but is finally in the space where she's allowing herself to date women after having been in a serious relationship with a man. Um, I'm out another, another one, um, is married to a woman, but has dated men prior. Um, And so again, I wanted to write about, you know, complex concepts of identity and love and sexuality. And so the story is kind of a battle cry for, um, the sweet possibility of a freer world in, um, the expression of love and sexuality. That's amazing. How much does identity for you play a role in your life? You know, you said you, you've been accepting of yourself, but you know, even like someone like me, like I knew who I was in high school and yet I still having to keep find myself, reinvent myself, college, post-college, even, even this post pandemic of who am I after, a year and a half of all this. How important does that play a part for you? Man, that is such a salient point, um, specifically coming out of the pandemic and during the pandemic, because I think my sort of, uh, the amount of negative intrusive thoughts I have battled in the past year and a half um, <laughs> of our industry, you know, just like completely being thrown to bits. Um it was a lot. And I, I'm, I'm also, I think the writing also finds a sort of near and dear place in my heart and why I was driven to it initially, besides the personal story with my mom was like, there was this point where with the acting, you know, you're sort of powerless to a point you have control over your performance. Um, but you're not in control of what the industry puts out. And so, you know, I still found that there weren't, weren't weren't roles that were saying exactly what I wanted to say as a human separate from me being an actor. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of it as well. And so um, it's, it's really nice in those really dark times to be able to feel power in your own art and in control of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I really love about writing is like, and, you know, a lot of writers collaborate. I'd be open to it right now, but I, I really love writing alone. I love, I love that it comes just from me and my brain. And I love that it's on my time and I love that I'm in control of it. And, you know, I, I think that, um, I think there's certainly a part of that, that I love because I have little to no control of my acting career. Um, and, you know, what you can be seen for, what you can't be seen for, what's being put out. And so um, I, I think it is kind of, you know, wrapped up in this idea of control and lack of. For sure. Yeah. You know, it, how much control is too much control of. Exactly. Right. Like I got, again, going back to myself in high school where I figured it out, like the last maybe four months of my senior year, I was like, ah, figure out who I am. I am this witty guy who wears a suit for attention. And then I went to college and I realized, no, I have, I have to drop the suit. And then I have to realize I'm imagining more of an introvert than I thought, you know, and then, and vulnerability 
is something that really attracts me to not just roles, but just people in general. You know, I think so. I, I identity just plays a huge you know, part in our lives. And I think it's something that people just don't think about enough. Yeah. And what's so, what I love about identity is, um, you know, the aspects of it, you know, for, if we're talking about, you know, cultural and racial, for example, you know, there's the identity that we are, which is, you know, I'm, you know, German, I'm Polish, I'm Danish, I'm Korean and I'm English, you know, and, and that's just what I am. Those are facts. And, and then there's the cultural, which means, you know, I'm white, but I could have been raised by, you know, a black family and I might identify more with black culture than white culture. And, and then there's the third part of identity, which is of course, sometimes the most frustrating, which is, it doesn't matter how I identify, what matters more is how the world views me, chews me up and spits me back out. And so you can identify with what you want, but like, and those are sort of those like biases that we all have when you, you make so many decisions about a human being when we meet them within seconds, you know, mm-hmm. um, even if they're not on purpose. So I love it. It's so complex. And what I love about identity too, is you can take two people that look the same, completely the same. And, and I think this is rooted in mine and Lindsay's acting background, because I remember when we were auditioning for colleges, you know, thinking like, what if we look the same? And I remember at that age, <laughs> so concerned about, wearing the same color as someone else and same singing color singing the same song yeah and, and I remember you know being told that like one thing that you have to cherish and honor and hold sacred as an actor is your own life experiences and again you might look the same as someone else but you know we come from different households and backgrounds and places even if we lived in the same town and so I think that I think that's also why I'm such so drawn to it. It just makes us all so complex. And I just I love the messiness of it. I feel like a little bit too, especially in theater school, is like they focus so much on on stripping a lot of that away. You know what I mean? So that you can get to the core and you can learn how to be neutral so that you can take on a character and you're not bringing all of your shit into it. But I also feel like sometimes that mentality goes a little bit too far and and I feel like there are people of our age group that are all kind of having this moment of like reclaiming our weirdness and our quirks and all of that and celebrating those things that we sort of I don't know we're trained into hiding a little bit and and you know what's so interesting is I feel like we were sort our millennials I feel like we were and specifically our age group ish you know early 30s late 20s is kind of the last of them I think we were the very last tail end of sort of old school theater pre-technology I think kids in college now and kids auditioning for college know that these differences is what makes them special and it's not that we didn't know that either but I think there was specifically racial back in the day there was or back in the day back when we were in school to sort of, you know, whitewash and sort of, you know, lean into what the industry wants. And now it's sort of like, no, 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 we're pushing this, we're pushing the boundaries for the industry so that all stories are told, which is an incredible thing. And um, 
I think there's lots of this. I hope. I don't know. I haven't. Been I, I no. I think you're totally yeah. right. Like I say it all the time. Like the kids are all right. I'm so protective of our little Gen Zers and yeah. like whoever the hell is underneath them. I don't know what they're called yet, but I just. You're I'm right. I think for them. I'm a little bit not jealous, but just envious that like I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, oh man, I really. I wonder what it would have been like for me if I'd been able to go to school now. Yeah. And I feel like they're but I'm so also so happy for them at the same yeah. time. You know, I, I, I feel like, and this is history, right? Like you can look at like gay men in the eighties that lived in New York city are probably really envious of people, millennials, you know, getting to like hold hands out in public and yeah. like go to gay bars period. And so, you know, I think it's kind of just this, like, because of our work, they get to celebrate and sort of live a freer life, which is so beautiful. Sure. Well, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you're a really cute reindeer. (laughs) (laughs) That little thing. That little tiny minor thing. Uh, Yes, 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 yes. So I was in the original cast of Frozen on Broadway. Um, which was my first principal contract in a Broadway show and only, um, which well, you did it until things shut down almost. Yeah. yeah the show closed during the pandemic. Um, and what in a spectacular, spectacular theater experience, um, getting to play such a challenging role, um, that is like, it was so full circle because it kind of, connected my athletic background and acting passions and musical theater it was all of it mm-hmm. um and so and and getting to play again like creating the role as fan with interprosy and just figuring out you know the role and how my role differed from his role because there were two of us um I originally started out as the standby in Denver I never went on then for Broadway I was the alternate which means I did two out of the eight shows a week he did six and then we we the second year we moved on to splitting the role four and four. And, um, and also that experience, which is so unique, so few actors um, will ever experience what it's like to share a role with someone and not, not share it and be an understudy, but truly share it. And there was something so special and beautiful about that. It's like me and him have our own sort of fraternity and understanding it's certainly an esoteric experience, especially with how unique the role is. Mm -hmm. Um, But um it's it's so sacred to me and the the costume was incredible designed by Michael Curry I was gonna say I I thought that it was like really really demanding physically and like difficult to do yeah but did you feel like I don't know a little bit more freedom in your like acting because you were an animal because you were wearing this incredible mechanized suit costume thing like absolutely I mean there you know there were specific moments where it was like do not blink here do not move your ears because we need to be looking at this and because the puppet was so mass it was life-size it was massive it was so beautiful that it it was distracting in a way that it was just it's hard not to watch it it Um, so cool yeah and so at times we would get the direction both from our physical movement director and the director saying like, you can't move here because um, we need to be looking somewhere else as an audience. You know, we need to follow the plot. Not that Sven's not part of it, but in moments where we're sort of secondary, it's really important. So it was kind of cool to sort of um, 
kind of throw that ball of energy and know when to use it, know when you can be subtle, but still move and know in moments where it's like, no, do not move. And so those were sort of hard at first to be like, well, animals don't know people just move, you know, stop moving. That's robots. Right. Um, and so finding those colors of, you know, still having movement that was so subtle that people don't notice it. Um, that was really fun. And, you know, it's the big, massive grand movements. Um, so it was just really cool to get to explore that. Um, and, you know, they just asked me to be the associate physical movement director um, for in Germany. So it looks like I'm going to be moving there for two and a half months. Got it. Yes. Yay. Yes. I mean, you know, I'm contracted. It should be happening. I'm planning on it happening. Um, so, yeah, really excited for my first international experience. Oh, my God. Yay. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. Well, we are nearing the end of our lovely time together. I don't want to stop talking, but we do have our uh, our fun little question game that we like to play at the end. Oh, God, I'm so nervous. Oh, no, you'll be great. Matthew? Uh, oh, my gosh. It's the greatest game of all time. It's called, <laughs> called uh, it's just me being humble. It's called Time for Two, Two Minutes on the Clock of Random Icebreaker Questions. No right, no wrong. We are just curious to see uh, what your opinion is. As fast as I can, or just whenever I answer is fine. I mean, it's up to you, but generally as fast as you can. Yeah. It's more fun that way. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. Here we go. You're start us off, LJ. All right. Three, two, one, go. Favorite Powerpuff Girl. Favorite what? Powerpuff Girl. You can oh, the mean one. The green one. I love her. <laughs> uh, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? The Beatles. Uh, your favorite bean. Bean? Yep, kind of bean. Um, black bean? Cool. Right. Favorite president? Obama. <laughs> uh, which would you rather, stub toe or hitting your funny bone? <sighs> Definitely my funny bone. A hot dog or a hamburger? Hot dog. Hot dog. Grimace or the hamburglar? Ooh. I don't know who Grimace is, so the Hamburglar. <laughs> Taco or burritos? Tacos. Uh, microphones, good or evil? For film, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite chef? Favorite chef? Yeah. <sighs> Taught English. Ooh. Rank the chipmunks from best to worst. I don't know them, so worst. Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. Theodore first, because I love that name. Simon second, and whoever the first one is. Alpine? Yes. Yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> That's great. Uh, 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 favorite record? Um, probably Back to Black, Amy Winehouse. Nice. Uh, which do you prefer, tap or ballet? Tap. How do you spell theater? With an R-E or an E-R? I vote R-E. Nice. Uh, Dr. Like Cap. Sorry. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Dogs. How much malarkey is a bunch of malarkey? A lot of malarkey. <laughs> uh, favorite city? New York City. Uh, toaster oven or a regular oven? Uh, oven because I've never had a toaster oven. Boom! <laughs> That's how we play time for two. Oh my God, I wanted to know the other ones. Oh, God. I mean, he's got how many are on the list now? 178. And I just wrote like 20 more while I was waiting. Oh, my God. Those are such cute questions. Here, can I give you a bonus one? Yes. Do a bonus one. Are babysitters good or evil? 
I hope good. Mine was <laughs> And uh, I'll give you my bonus one, which is uh, tiki drinks. Yes or no? Yes. Are those Yay! just... <laughs> those what, are rum, right? Yeah. I feel like well, there's always rum in those usually. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the best part. Uh, rum, rum is good because I never think to drink it. And every time I do, I'm like, oh, right. This works. I forgot about rum. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I have a similar experience. Yeah. Well, it's usually on a beach and then I forget afterwards. Exactly. And then you remember <laughs> the next day. <laughs> so Adam, uh, speaking of remembering and not forgetting, um, we have one final question, which is, uh, are your parents proud of you? I think my parents are very, very proud of me. I think I, I would agree. I would agree after this conversation. <laughs> Adam, yeah, my parents know I'm proud of them too. Oh, is that the first time we've had that? I don't know. This just turned into a Hallmark movie, so that's fine by me. Merry Christmas. Children can be proud of their parents too. Oh, oh. I we've all learned something. Today, we all folks. learned something. Yeah, <laughs> Adam, we can't thank you enough for your time. You are a one of a kind, and it's always good to talk to someone new for me. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you, and it was nice to uh, have a little Chicago moment because that is my roots, of course. Yes, for yes, sure, yes. for sure. Well, I think instead of the title, do you want to build a snowman? I'm going to change it to, do you want to build a relationship? Because I want to build a relationship with Adam Jepson. <laughs> well, I don't blame you. He is, like, honestly one of my favorite people. And, like, I just want to see that screenplay get made. Like, I want that in my life. Are you listening, film executives? Because, you know, they listen to this podcast. Make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood speaking types. Of, speaking of making <laughs> things happen, you can make it over to Facebook and Instagram. Like us on that Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast or make it to that email, Parents Proud Podcast at gmail.com. You know it. Speaking and of, oh, join. Oh. oh, I was, we had a bit. That was not going to work. This is why we don't rehearse. Go ahead, LJ. <laughs> And please join us next week where we're going to have the incredibly talented Keith Bruderbaugh, actor of stage and screen. Tune in. He has another great voice. We have a lot of great voices on this show. I think everybody has had a really great voice. Everyone has had a really good voice. So yeah, tune in for interesting stories and fantastic voices. Like that one. And then I start talking. Good night, folks! Good night.